Fargo's seventh episode deals with the fallout from the shootout. Today we're talking about who shaves the barber. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends and welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast and we're continuing our coverage of fargo moving on to episode seven who shaves the barber so we're dealing with a lot and mostly just a lot of what what's happening now that a bunch of people got shot and some people are dead and some people aren't dead so yeah a lot going on so without further ado let's get started a lot of movies and shows like to end with a firefight it's a natural action-packed climax where the heroes can win and the baddies can lose What's less common is sifting through the aftermath of said shootout, and that can be a lot messier, as we find out in today's episode, Who Shaves the Barber? The episode begins with Lester's plan being set in motion. His nephew Gordo goes to school, and after getting into a scrap with another boy, the unloaded handgun Lester planted flies out. It's convenient, yes? The gun triggers an investigation of Chaz's house, which turns up his illegal machine gun and the evidence that Lester planned. Chief Oswald brings in Lester to try to make sense of things, and Lester gives his fake story, which quickly convinces Oswald. Cut to Molly, who is recovering in the hospital after being shot by Gus. Gus. Once she's awake, Gus quickly admits what happened and sheepishly leaves as Lou checks in on his daughter. She then tries to get information out of Wrench, who refuses to talk, mourning the loss of numbers. Meanwhile, Lauren Malvo is on the warpath. He goes to his contact in Reno, Nevada, and gets the information he needs on the Fargo Syndicate. And then he wipes the Syndicate off the face of the earth, even under FBI surveillance. Lester then shows off his new sociopath tendencies by playing off his night in jail, conning the widow Hess into having sex with him, fully aware that the life insurance policy isn't going to go through. Meanwhile, back in Duluth, Molly has been released and is diligently working the case, determined as ever to solve it. But to her chagrin, her department has fallen for Lester's ruse, hook, line, and sinker, and is celebrating Chaz's arrest. Molly exits her department, dismayed at what's happening. So let's start with the Fargo stuff. Being a two-hour movie, the original Fargo didn't deal with the aftermath of anything except the initial crimes, the kidnapping and murders. But one of its signature scenes is when Marge lightly scolds her collar in the back seat, but her collar rather, in the back seat by saying there's more in this world than a little bit of money. Don't you know that? Which is as close to a thesis statement as you're going to get in a Cohen's film. I bring this up because the scene with Molly and Wrench is like a distorted mirror image of this scene. There's a lot of differences, but the message is the same. At first, it looks like an interrogation where Molly is playing good cop, as she almost always does, giving Wrench information he may not have had about his friend and trying to get something in return. But the way the scene plays out is genuinely heartbreaking. Once Wrench finds out Numbers is dead, his portion of the conversation is over. He's clearly mourning the loss of his friend and not in a position to be consoled or give any information up, even if it took out Malvo. He's hurting and Russell Harbour does such a good job of conveying this without a single line. When Molly realizes she can't get information, we finally see a deep crack in her resolve. Despite her quick instincts in the firefight, she views it as pointless. Malvo got away, Numbers is dead, her and Wrench both got shot, and for what? So she could be in the hospital and he could go to jail for the rest of his life? 
Is there something more to life than following a mob's boss's orders? I think this is really gets to the core belief Molly has demonstrated throughout the series. Despite recognizing that it's a crazy world out there and the depths of human flaws, she also believes in law enforcement, truth, justice, all of that. So if she's going to fire her weapon her first time, as she admits, she wants it to be for a reason, not just some meaningless firefight in the snow. And right now, that's how it's looking. These two are both grieving, but for different reasons. Let's move on to the title. Today's title is Another Logical Paradox. This one is called the Barber Paradox, which is derived from Russell's Paradox, named after Bertrand Russell. Here's the quote from Wikipedia. The barber is one who shaves all of those and those only who do not shave themselves. The question is, does the barber shave himself? Answering this question results in a contradiction. The barber cannot shave himself as he only shaves those who do not shave themselves. Thus, if he shaves himself, he ceases to be the barber. Conversely, if the barber does not shave himself, then he fits into the group of people who must be shaved by the barber, and thus, as the barber, he must shave himself. So that's a lot of jargon, but this is a running theme in the final titles. When does something or someone become something else or cease to be what they are or were? The idea is, when is a barber not a barber? And are they a barber if they perform their job on themselves? In my opinion, this title is referring to Lester, because Lester is still Lester, but not the Lester we knew before. With the shotgun pellet removed, Lester has moved into a full, selfish sociopath territory as his plan plays out to perfection. Gordo just so happens to get into a fight on his first day which, with the gun in his bag, which just so happens to spill out, which triggers an investigation, which implicates his brother Chaz thanks to the evidence he planted. By the time Chief Oswald comes in, he's just trying to make sense of this insane world. This will come up again. So much so that he does one of the worst interrogations of all time. He never questions Lester's story, asks leading questions, and then pushes blame away from him. And Lester is happy to play the part. And sadly, Bill wants him to play. Martin Freeman's acting in this scene is spectacular, because you can tell how fake his tears and emotions are, and he constantly flashes smiles as he lies. That's a lot of meticulous face acting there, and it's skin crawling. Just as it is when he coldly ignores his brother he damned to prison. And when he decides to dominate his slain enemy by having sex with his widow and knocking his picture off the wall, it's so primal, gross, and confident, and miles away from the Lester we've known. So is he still Lester? Or is he something else now? Either way, the seed Malvo planted has blossomed. And speaking of Malvo, he's very mad. While Malvo has always acted like a evil force of nature in this show, this episode, at least in my opinion, highlights his hypocrisy and his terrifying abilities when he's pissed. For a guy who claims to have no moral code or live by the laws of the jungle, Malvo is dead set on vengeance against the syndicate that tried to take him out and anyone who may have helped them. He travels to Reno to get information and then is back in Fargo seemingly a day later with an automatic rifle to take out the entire syndicate single-handedly. There's a lot of reasons I love this scene. The arrival of Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele as a bickering pair of FBI agents is perfect casting, as is their shocked reaction to a shootout they missed. It's a comedic scene, and why not get a known comedy pair to get it done? I also love how the scene tracks the shooter, but rarely, if ever, shows anything happening on screen. We just get a feel for where Malvo is based on how the camera moves and how far he has to go. 
And in the one clip we do see of him taking mob goons out with ease, we show how lethally efficient he is. He also demonstrates why his calm demeanor is such a perfect defense, as he casually walks away from a body he put on the pavement. It doesn't arise suspicion. But there's one thing I want to point out that will come back to Malvo in later episodes. As much as Malvo talks about natural laws, predators and prey, and all that kind of stuff, there's one thing that stands out about him. Malvo almost never attacks anyone who knows he's coming. It's always a surprise, from the shadows or out of nowhere. He operates like a human hunter. He doesn't want his prey to know he's coming. He's not trying to see who's more powerful or challenge anybody or be the leader of a wolf pack. He's trying to hunt as efficiently as, efficiently as possible. And while that definitely makes sense when you're trying to take out an entire building of goons, it's noteworthy that this is almost always his tactic, and one that might come back to bite him later. And we also get every bit of Molly's humanity in this episode. As much as this episode highlights Lester's full descent, the flip side of this episode is about Molly. This episode shows Molly at her best and her lowest. The best include her human connections and determination. She wakes up with the spleen missing, hears Gus say he's the responsible party, and immediately gives him grace and understanding. She even lightly teases that he just owes her a spleen. And even though with that spleen missing, she's using a hospital window to put together the case connections and assures Gus that they're going to solve this. I also love the quiet scenes with Lou where he puts on hockey and he quietly says that he loves her and he's proud of her. It's perfectly in line with Lou's old school feel, but the love between them is never in doubt. That's how you write these characters, by the way. Spoiler alert, Lou is awesome and we'll have about 10 to 12 more moments like this before the season is over. But as I mentioned, this case and how it's playing out is starting to get to Molly. Because once again, the cosmos seems to be working against her. Just when they've got the perfect chance to nail Lester in a lie or dig deeper, Molly was in the hospital. She's never been able to properly interrogate Lester. And when she gets back to her department, they're celebrating the arrest of the wrong guy. And it's finally enough to push her over the edge. She frantically leaves the building like she's looking for Lester or asking God for answers. Despite being shot in the, the last episode, this is the beginning of Molly's low point. And here's a couple of fun details before we sign off. First off, the misdirect for Malvo's Reno contract is very fun. You're watching this guy in aqua aerobics, and then he goes into a banal small office, and then boom, Lord Malvo, and this guy is actually a go-between for hitmen and criminals. I like the hiding in plain sight aspect. It's always played as dominance, but seriously, staring into your bully's eyes as you finish inside his widow plays out like something different. You might want to think on that, Lester. Also, the one and only time you can see Molly is irked by her dad is when he arrives to take her home in a wheelchair, which is fair from both sides. She was just shot, but also, she's a big girl. The POV shot of Chaz getting all the cold stares from the police is brutally effective. And despite being a hitman, I'm genuinely sad that Wrench lost his buddy. They were a good pair and clearly good friends. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I'll catch you next time. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time, everybody. Stay safe.